Amen. All right, well, you may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to see all of you guys here this morning. We're going to continue a series uh, that we began after Easter uh, in uh, the letter of 1 John called Abide, Life in Christ, Life with Christ. And so hopefully on your way in, if you don't have one, you grab one of our discipleship guides. We're going to be in week seven today on that. Um, also, we have for you um, uh, a 1 John scripture journal that has first second, third John, just a place for you to take notes. We want to make sure we get God's word in your hand and hopefully into your heart as well. Uh, and so in this series, John is in his 80s or 90s. He'd spent uh, 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 three years of ministry with Jesus. He then spent decades planting churches, strengthening churches, establishing churches. And he is not just in the fourth quarter of his life. He's in like the two-minute warning of the fourth quarter. And he's like, hey, I just want to make sure that as I transition to glory, John says, I want to make sure um, that the church, the people of God, know what it means to actually be a Christian. That there had been people who started to gather together, people who'd heard the good news about Jesus Christ, his, his work in their place uh, of obedience and sacrifice on the cross to pay for their sins. He's, they've heard about new life in Christ. They've heard about his return with the new heavens and new earth. And they're like, yeah, I'm on the team. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet, you know, when, when you're walking with Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're part of a church for any length of time, man, the world just starts to tug at you in different ways. And the enemy looks for, for threads to pull on your sweater, right, to start unraveling your faith if possible. So what John wants to do in this letter that he's writing to a church that he loves is to, to help remind them what is true about the gospel. What is true about who Jesus Christ is? What does it look like to, to pledge allegiance and to trust Jesus as your Savior and as your King? And then last week um, in, in uh, chapter three, he talked about spiritual parentage. He says that there's really only two categories of people, those who, who are children of God the Father, who've been adopted, who've been redeemed and brought into that family. And then there's unbelievers. He says that, that spiritually your, your parentage is of the devil. And it was a really tough word. And it laid out a clear binary, not, not, not a spectrum of faith, but either you are a Christian and your faith and trust is in Jesus, or, or you're not. And we said, hey, that, that shouldn't lead us to, to pride. That should lead us to a place of humility that, that God would save any of us, that he would adopt us into his family, not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of his mercy and grace shown to us in Jesus Christ. And so today... In 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be uh, in verses uh, 11 through 19, maybe 11 through 24. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just see how it goes. Um, but what he's going to do is say, hey, okay, if you're a Christian, if your faith and trust is in Jesus, if you're, if, if you're in the family, so to speak, then that's going to manifest itself in how you interact with those who the Bible would say are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you say, hey, I have God as my father, that means that those who also do would be your brothers and sisters. 
So John wants to say, hey, I want you to think about and consider what's your vertical relationship with your creator. And today he's going to talk about how does it play out into your horizontal relationships with, with other Christians. And so um, here we are. If we claim that God is our father, it's going to impact how we engage with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you can, you can turn your Bibles, your apps, your scripture journal to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read verses 11 through 15, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, yeah, we'll break it down here. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him Okay, so, so last week, John was like, hey, your, your, your father is either God or the devil. If you were hoping like things were gonna kind of ease up this week, they, they really don't too much, right? I, I mean, we're talking about how do we love one another and right away, John's talking about murder. Okay, like things get in, intense here. And so what, what he's doing is he says, hey, from the beginning, all of us, we've been told the basics of faith. Love God and love people. And you're like, well, hey, why do we talk about that? all the time, like, 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 we should just get this, and yet we don't, the, the reason that he's constantly reminding, hey, you're to love God and love people, love God, love people, it's because spiritually, we get amnesia really quick, and, and we forget, and so he's instructing us so that we can walk out in faithfulness. Several weeks ago, we said, you know, hey, hurt people, hurt people, but loved people, love people, and so if you're someone who's known and seen and experienced the abiding love of God shown in Jesus Christ, and we said that that word abide is important, right? It means to, to not depart, to be held and kept continually, to endure, to, to not perish, to remain as one, to survive, to live. That if your endurance, your life, your security is all being held in Christ, then, then it should actually change your disposition towards other people. And so he's asking, how do you love one another? What does that look like? Well, I've got seven points today on how we're to love one another. And as I get into these, um, the first one is probably bigger and longer than all of the other six. So if you're doing that mental math in your head of like, point one was this long, uh-oh, like we better redo the reservations, right, for lunch, right? Like, no, don't worry about that. We're gonna get through it. Um, so here we are, point number one. You can't love your brothers when you hate them. You can't love your brothers and sisters if you hate them. Another way of saying that, quite simply, is don't be a Cain. And you're like, well, I don't even know who you're talking about. Um, okay, so, so Cain uh, and Abel were brothers. We meet them in Genesis chapter 4. So if you know your Bibles at all, you know, hey, God created everything good. Like, like peace harmony, shalom with him and his creation. And then humanity exchanged the truth about God's love and his law for a lie that said, hey, you can enjoy life better apart from God if you yourself act like you are one. 
And so like Genesis 3, we're like, well, that's kind of, I mean, they're just eating, a, eating fruit that they're not supposed to. They're just kind of disobeying some laws here. Well, by, by chapter 4, one generation later, we've got these two brothers and, and, and things are not going well. Um, we've gone from just not eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil to the next generation, sinning by hatred and killing. And so Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and uh, Eve, they're both brothers who worked. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. They're both very outwardly religious. Okay, they, they did sacrifices and, and, you know, prayed prayers. They were giving and sacrificing to God out of the abundance of how God had blessed them. But there's something really different about the heart of each one. And, and so Abel, we don't know that much about. But we do know that it, it tells us that his heart was from an orientation that says, I, I'm just grateful for God and who he is and what he's done for me. And, and we know um, that God doesn't just desire our sacrifice. No, he, he doesn't desire sacrifice for sacrifice sake. That's what, you know, Abel was sacrificing, Cain was sacrificing. Um, but no, in fact, what God wants is for any act of sacrifice to actually display what your actual heart disposition is. So your actions should uh, uh, flow out from your heart, not, hey, let me do these actions so it will cover up what's in my heart. So for, for Abel's sake, it says that God regarded Abel's sacrifice. But it said in Genesis 4 that Cain's offering, God said, had no regard. And you're like, man, that's harsh. Like there's these two brothers, like one's given some fruit and vegetables, the other's given some meat. Like, like they're both sacrificing. Come on, God. Well, we got to remind ourselves in the Bible, in Scripture, in the world, God's the one who sets morality. God's the one who defines good and evil. So if we're seeing a conflict, then just know that, that God's going to be right. He's not judging wrongly. God knows both their outward actions and he knows their inward hearts. So God knows deep down that the reason that Abel is giving is out of gratitude, and he knows deep down that the reason that Cain is giving out of either some form of pride or, or, or envy or, or, or just selfishness to cover up the disposition of his heart. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and still give, but I'm not going to feel good about it. I'm doing it begrudgingly. Cain doesn't have a heart oriented towards God. It's oriented towards himself. And so Cain gets angry, and he's not angry because his heart's in, in the wrong place, right? Sometimes, like, like, we have things that happen in our hearts that we're just like, oh, I don't like that feeling. And, and, and we rightly are like, you know, I should, I, I, gosh, I, I hope my heart changes in this because I don't like my attitude. No, for Cain, he was like, no, I'm cool with my, my attitude, He's just upset that his outward actions can't cover his inward orientation. And so at a certain point, God lovingly confronts Cain. And he confronts Cain and he says this in Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And that word desire is actually like, like it, is, it is, wants to consume you. Like this is God saying to Cain, hey, you gotta get your heart right. Like, hey, you're going through the motions, fine. You're showing up, you're giving, you're serving. That's great. I care about your heart. 
because it's leading you to anger, to envy, to sin. And so God is warning Cain about the path he's about to take. I mean, this is such a contrast from Genesis 3, right? Genesis 3, you got a serpent whispering in Eve's ear, like, like come on. Like, no, just, just reject God. No, this is God putting Cain on full blast and just being like, don't go this direction. It's going to hurt. It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to destruction. Like this is God being kind to Cain. And we see Cain's response is from sin in his heart. It leads him to hatred of his brother. And in verse 8, it shows his response to, to God's warning and leading is the exact opposite of humility. It's the opposite of repentance. Instead, he heard a, a challenging word from the Lord. Rather than leading to a soft heart, Cain hardens his heart. I said, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not gonna go to, with repentance and obedience. I'm gonna go with rage and violence. Genesis 4, verse eight, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Let's go out to the field. Come on, man, come, come out of my field. Let's, let's get away from the town a little bit. Let's get away from other people. Just, just you and me, brother. Come on out to the field where there's nobody out there. It says, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Like premeditated, cold-blooded murder. Like, like this is the first murder in recorded history. And it's over one brother's envy and anger and hatred towards his brother. I mean... This is the family tree. <laughs> like, like, like we, we have this little thing, like, right, you know, uh, we believe that children are our future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way, right? Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Anybody ever heard that song, right, from back in the 80s, 90s? It's garbage, right? I mean, unless you actually do teach them well, because for Adam and Eve, like, there's like maybe the next generation will get better. I mean, we just disobeyed God, got kicked out of paradise, whatever. I'm sure... Our kids will work it out. Doesn't go well. I, I mean, guys, they're, like, this is the type of murder they make a podcast about, right? right? And you listen to this while you're like folding your clothes on a Saturday, right? Working out in the garage, cleaning, and you're just like, well, these two brothers from this family, you know, they're both very religious, and, and then one took him out to the field and killed him, and then now he's in the field. Now what? Who knows, you know? And then you gotta have music. I don't know, Okay. I don't listen to the murder podcast, but, you know, there might be some people in my family that do. Okay. <laughs> Cain's reaction to, to God's favor and Abel's righteousness is jealousy and hatred and murder. And, and, and I think what, he, what he's doing is, is he does what a lot of us do. Like, like let's, we all want to think we're, we're Abel in the story, but I think most of us are actually Cain. Because what he's doing is, I believe Cain is actually angry at God. Because so far, the only interactions are between God and Cain. God's like, hey, Cain, you got to check your heart. And Cain's like, oh, I don't like the Abel's over here. God didn't tell Abel to check his heart. And what happens is when we're angry with God, I think subconsciously, we know that God is God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the sovereign over all things. And we're like, well, if I really go at God, that's not going to go well. So we displace that anger and we're like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna go after somebody that God seems to be happy with. 
I'm going to let my envy, my jealousy, my rage. I'm going to, I can't be angry at God, or at least I can't win against God, but maybe I can win over here. So sometimes when we're angry with other people, our brothers and sisters, it's because we haven't, we have misplaced anger against God that somehow God got it wrong. Cain represents those in the world who are opposed to God and his people. And so John, in his sermon, he's using Cain and Abel as this example. He's saying, hey, Christian brothers and sisters, like, don't be like Cain. Like, it's okay to look at, you know, people in the Bible that are doing wrong things and say, don't do those things. And he's saying, hey, um, I, let's just fast forward a couple millennia now. He's like, don't, don't be like Cain. He, he's of the world, and, and the world hates us, and, and the world is, is, you know, rages against. And so John, if you've been following this series at all over the last couple chapters, he's been kind of going in this links of the chain about these contrasts between um, the God who made the world and the world that's opposed to God. And so he started with kind of like the idea of, hey, you shouldn't love the world that's opposed to God. And then he goes on to say the world will not know or understand us. We should at times be uncomfortable in this world because there's just aspects culturally that are opposed to God and his will and his ways. To finally saying, hey, don't be surprised. If the world sees you walking in any sort of righteousness, it's gonna respond to those in Christ the same way Cain responded to the faith and heart of his brother Abel. See, Abel is just just showing gratitude to the Lord. His allegiance was to the Lord, and there was something in the world that said, no, that's not okay. And so rather than neutrality or coexist, it it was actual anger, actual violence. And so for John, he's asking Christians, and I want to ask you today, where's your heart disposition towards other Christians? because there's just kind of a simple test laid out here. If you hate other Christians, you are not one. If you hate other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, John's saying, then, then you can't get to say you are one. Right, like, like where is your most like discomfort? Where's your most sense of tension? Where's your most sense of frustration? Like, like hey, Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're part of a family and we are a very dysfunctional family and there's church hurt and there's things that happen. But when your number one enemy is the church or is your brothers and sisters in Christ, he's saying then you don't get to say you are one. He says those who've passed from spiritual death into life can know that they they are in that spiritual life with Christ because they love the brothers and sisters. Jesus says we'll be known by our love for one another. And so the converse is true. If you hate brothers and sisters, John says, you're a murderer and there's no eternal life in you. And you're like, okay, John's John's in his 90s now. Maybe he's just preaching grumpy. Where'd John get? Maybe John's just like, you know, he's just like, I'm about to go, so I'm just just gonna start firing away at everybody. No, John's just echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount which is like what we call Discipleship 101, Jesus just laying out to everybody, here's the manifesto of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus says this, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I'm like, okay, 
Yeah, we're, we're good with that. Verse 22, but I say to you, everyone who's angry at his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus is saying, hey, your, your outward actions, they're just betraying what your inward heart condition is. Jesus is equating anger to murder. And you're like, that's really strong. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to be angry with anybody. I don't want to murder anybody. I just want to completely cut them out of my life and act like they don't exist or ever existed. Right? What's canceling? Oh, we don't want you in society at all anymore. We wish that you didn't exist. See, Jesus is saying these are the same things. If you have anger in your... See, Jesus judges our hearts. He knows our actions are an overflowing of our hearts. He knows that physical violence is just a response to anger and malice and envy and bitterness and hatred in our hearts. And so Jesus judges them similarly. Now, we have a legal code, right? And so, like, it's... Like, you can be ticked off at somebody and, like, you know, that, like, don't just... Well, I'm already mad. Might as well do the murder. Jesus says it's the same. Like, no, that's not the equivalent we're going with, Right? But, there, but there's some irony in this language because um, here in, in verse, uh, okay, let's see. Yeah, in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, John's been using this word abide to talk about what it means to have life in Christ. Where's your security? Where's your endurance? Um, you, you know, what's holding you continually? What's your source of joy? What's your source of purpose? And here he's saying, if you're just angry and bitter all the time, he's saying, no, no, you're actually abiding in, enduring in, being held by darkness, death, sin. You're trying to dwell, which is what abide means, in lifelessness. And so to conclude, number one, loving your brothers and sisters is more than just not hating them, but it's certainly not less than not hating them. Love does have to be active in order to be loved. And so what John's doing is he's laying out this uh, understanding of what does it look like as Christian brothers and sisters to love one another. And he's saying, let's just start with the baseline foundation. Just don't hate each other. Right? We, we do this if you're a parent or you're like in classroom management you know, right, in a school, like, let's just start with the no hate, stop fighting, stop wrestling, stop punching, I don't know, maybe all your kids are perfect all the time, right? And then you're like, okay, cool, we've got to, to no conflict, but, but what are we actually going to do to build up as brothers and sisters in Christ? What, what are we going to do that, that actually shows the love that we claim that we have? John 3, uh, 16 and 18 says this, and this is where I'm going to get my next points from. 1 John 3, 16 and 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So what John's doing is he's immediately laying a contrast between Cain, who hated his brother, and Jesus, and how he loves his brothers and sisters. 
So Cain saw his brother's righteousness, he saw Abel's righteousness, and it led him to jealousy and hatred, and the, the fruition of that was active murder. Jesus Christ, he sees us, sees you, sees me in our unrighteousness. He sees us in our sin, in our depravity, in our brokenness, and his response of that is compassion. It's, it's compassion and concern. And out of that compassion and concern, Jesus actively sacrifices himself so that we may live and have life and righteousness that comes from him. So John's saying, hey, we can look to the cross to understand how we're to love brothers and sisters. And so, I mean, theologically speaking, we should... We should look at the cross and say, yes, this is where our salvation comes from. This is where Jesus took our sin. Uh, this is where he paid for our sin. This is how he purchased us from slavery of sin uh, and, and into new life. But sometimes I think we can just kind of theologically kind of put it in that like, this is what happens so I don't go to hell. Or this is what happens so I can be with God. And we forget that the cross is this like, like multifaceted jewel that has all these amazing sides to it that are, that are all equally beautiful. And so, while the cross absolutely is, is a sacrifice we identify with, it's also an example we as brothers and sisters are to imitate. And so he's saying, hey, we're to live lives of self-sacrifice. If we say we follow Jesus, then we can imitate Jesus in the ways we've been called to. And this means that we're going to love an attitude more than action. So that leads to number two. Number two is this. Love is not defined by us. It's defined by God. So we're trying to understand what does love look like? How do we love our brothers and sisters? We have to start with God defines love. And God has shown us what love looks like in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so because God defines love, not us, we need to know the difference between love and like. Because when we define love, what we really mean is like. Oh man, I, I just, I, I just, I love a sunset. Like, I mean, you like it, right? Like, you're not self-sacrificing for a sunset, Right? You're like, oh man, I love it when my team wins, right? Well, I mean, you enjoy it, right? Like, like um, tonight, um, we're having a bunch of other ministry leaders from a bunch of other churches over, and, and I'm just kind of hoping that the smoker works, and I hope that, that at some point around 6.30 tonight that I love the taste of tri-tip, right? Like, I, I, I hope I love it, but really what I'm saying is I like it. See, this is important because love is not just an inactive emotion. It's not just a feeling you have. I mean, like, I'm not saying there's not feelings involved, but God-defined love was shown to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who lived a life of perfect obedience and then self-sacrifice so that we could be brought into the family. It didn't say, well, God-defined love is like anything that you just feel good about. And so this like and love distinction is important. Because love is something that is actively pursued rather than something that's just passively enjoyed. 
And so when we confuse like and love, right, like is the natural feeling we have when we just find something attractive or enjoyable. Like is easy. Liking is so natural. Nobody has to tell you to like something. So when it says you're to love your brothers and sisters, he doesn't say you should like your brothers and sisters. We're like, well, yeah, because they're super likable. No, loving someone leads you to pursue them. See, I think this really gets us jammed up when we say things like God is love. Because what we really mean is love is God. And then we, in our minds, we've already redefined love as just what we like. So what we're really saying is what I like or find likable or approve of is God. And so John wants to reset and reorient us a little bit. Because I think what happens then is that that we then screw up God's love towards us and we start to believe that God only likes us when we're lovable. God is love. That's an okay statement. Not love is God when we've defined love as what we like. So number two is that love is defined by God and not by us. Number three, love is specific, not general. He says, love the brothers and sisters. See, it's, it is so easy to love abstract people. For you to go around and say, I'm just a loving person. I love all people. I never judge anyone. I, I cheer on everyone. Like, I am for everyone. And you're like, everyone? Yeah, everyone. Yeah, the person that just cut me off, the like five people in line between me and my coffee. I love all of them. No, you don't. Right now, we, we love people. And then you're like, do you love this person? <laughs> Have you met them? Have you smelled them? Like, like no, they, were, they were mean to me. Or like, they have an opinion about something that I don't agree with. I can't love them. No, I'm a loving person and they, they, they define love differently. I can't, I can't love them. And so what happens it's very easy, very easy to love people in the abstract. It's hard to love specific people. Because sometimes loving someone is treating them as if you like them, even if they may not be naturally likable to you. I want to be kind of clear on, on this one. Um, because we're not called to like everyone or to like everything about everyone. Right? Love's not defined as, I like everything about you and nothing about you is wrong ever. It's actually not very loving. And maybe you're like, no, it's really easy for me to not like people. Maybe you're not a people person, that, that's okay. Like, like, it's okay to say, no, there's certain people I don't like. I don't want to beat you up on that. I mean, I'm, I'm in that same category as well. We're not called to like everyone, but we're commanded to love them. See, this is where it gets into action. This is where it gets into our attitudes and dispositions towards one another. It means that at times you might find yourself investing and spending time with people you don't naturally enjoy, but God's uh, divine providence, he's put you in their lives. And I I do want to be clear on this. Like, that doesn't mean you only hang out with people you don't like. Right, don't be a masochist. Like I knew somebody once to just like, they, just, they were super self-righteous and they were just like, oh, I only just hang out with people that, that I don't like or are difficult or on the margins. And it's just like, yeah, man. And they're like, wait, you hang around with me a lot. 
And I was like, oh, I, I get it. You don't like me. Okay. But like, like we're not, like, hey, there's people you, that you enjoy hanging out with. That's great. There's people you have a natural affinity for. That is great. Don't spurn them. But it does mean like when you come into a church setting, when you come into a gospel community, that there may be people that don't line up with every way you see the world or every aspect of your lived experience or every way you, you see things. And, and like, you're, you're gonna have to be able to interact with people and actually love people that are not easily likable for you, that may be different from you. And you're like, man, that's, that's a hard thing. Well, we're called to imitate Jesus. And, and Jesus loved us and acted on our behalf when we didn't deserve it. That's what grace and mercy are. That Jesus actually loved us in ways we didn't deserve. Meaning, when we weren't likable, Jesus loved us. Right? We say this is love, not that we like, but while we were yet sinners, meaning unlikable, maybe even unlovable, the Bible says Christ died for us. At your, at your most unlikable, at your most, dare I say, unlovable, Christ saw you in that condition and says, that's someone I'm going to sacrifice for. That's someone I'm going to show love to so that they might enjoy and have and inherit the righteousness of God. And so because Christ has loved us that way, if you're a Christian, again, it should lead us to some humility to recognize that we're the unlikable ones, we're the unlovable ones. We've been loved greatly by Jesus, so we can now love others even when they're not lovable to us. He loved us in such a way with such mercy and grace that it showed that he even liked us too. Okay, number four. Love starts with your relationship with the church. John's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, those are specific people. Those are people that are, that are in this case, you know, in the church likely of Ephesus. Like it's an actual congregation of people. It's, it's all the Christians in Snohomish County. It's all the Christians, you know, in the U.S. It's all the Christians in the world. He's talking about actual people. He's talking about the people of God, the church, the adopted sons and daughters of the king, and we're now this part of this family. And what's interesting about a family, right? You don't get to pick who your brothers and sisters are usually. But you're in the family. And it's saying, God's like, you know, actually, I, I want these people and these people and these people and this person, and I want them all in one family. Right? You ever been part of a larger family where like all, all the kids or siblings and parents all have different personalities, different likes and different interests? Right? Like, some of that's God's design. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to have different people all in the family together. And so, you don't get to pick who your brothers and sisters are. God the Father has already done that. So, when you're hating your brothers and sisters, you're saying, God got it wrong by adopting them into the family. Oh, I don't, I don't like them. No, they're, they're Christians. Their faith and trust is in Jesus. Oh, but they have really unfashionable political opinions. Or like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really, oh, I, I really don't like them. I mean, they're, they're, they're Christians, but they're just, oh, they're just so lame. They're just not hip or cool at all. I don't even think hip's a cool word. I don't even know. 
I don't know any of the words. I tried to learn no cap this week, and I just used it a lot, and I've lost all of you, um, and even the middle schoolers are like, don't say that. Um, I think it means, I don't even know what it means anymore. I've lost it. I'm supposed to teach at a youth camp this summer real quick um, for like a week. I'm going to be teaching about 200 middle schoolers and high schoolers. I've never done that before, and I just asked the camp directors, I hope they like Seinfeld references. And like I told that to my kids, and they didn't even laugh. And one of my kids goes, yeah, Seinfeld, he's in the B movie. It's like, yeah, that's what Jerry Seinfeld's known for, the B movie. Okay. All right, comedy hour's over. Um, Now, there are people who've been called into Christians who do things that you may not like, and yet we're called to to love them, to treat them as we like them. And and so it's got to start with the church because I hate to break it to you. Jesus doesn't say, say, you'll you'll be known by your love for one another. He does. But then he also goes, by the way, you're also to love your enemies. Well, it's really, really hard to love those who hate you and are opposed to you if you're not even doing the baseline of loving one another who are in the family of God. So you say, start by loving your brothers and sisters because you're also called to love your enemies. If John's talking about loving our brothers and sisters and our brothers and sisters are Christians and Christians are in the church, then then how God has professed love for us is active and that means that we are gonna actively love one another in the church. Which leads us to this, number five. Love is lived out more than a one-time event, but a lifetime of selflessness. See, Jesus laid down his life for the brothers and sisters. Jesus has given most, and, and to be quite frank, I think nearly all of us will likely live our lives and not be called to give some form of ultimate sacrifice for the life of another. I, I mean, Maybe you're going to find yourself in an extreme situation, um, right, where you're going to be called, uh, like, I'm going to step up and, like, I would die for my family. I'd take a bullet for my family. Or, you know, hey, hey, behead me, ISIS, not my kids, right? You know, whatever it is, like, like you say, yeah, I'm going to stand in the gap. But almost all of us are, are not going to be called to, to do this one-time dramatic thing that we, we hope we better get right at that moment. But all of us are called to live out lives that are self-sacrificial towards others. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, you should take up a cross and just have one big, strong act of sacrifice. No, no, Jesus already did that. No, Jesus actually tells us, if you want to be my disciples, then you're going to take up your cross of a life of self-sacrifice. How often? Jesus says, daily. Hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year, you're going to make choices. And they're either often going to be for you or for others. And so we are all called to live lives that are self-sacrificial towards one another. Because Jesus laid down his life for us, we can be compelled to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I said, Jesus says, pick up your cross and walk that out daily. So what does that mean to to pick up your cross? That leads to number six. Love is costly and love will really cost. Love is costly and love will have a real cost. John's saying, hey, let's not just live in in words and attitudes and platitudes. He's like, no, this is going to actually be lived out in some actions. Talk is cheap. And so he's saying, hey, be generous with your actions. 
And John actually gets specific. He says, hey, if you have material possessions, you should be using them to bless other people. You should be using them to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. In the concept uh, uh, of the New Testament, like every aspect of the New Testament, generosity and giving is always in the context of the local church. Now, it's not saying don't be charitable to your community. Um, you know, don't try to, to help others outside the church. Absolutely not. I mean, yes, do those. Yes and amen. But he's saying, hey, your generosity should start with and include in the life of the church. So that actually means like, we, we talked about this you know, months ago in our giving series. That actually means cheerful, regular, sacrificial giving. Like to your local church for the purposes of the church's flourishing. Part of how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ is to help, help fortify the mission materially. Cheerfully, regularly, sacrificially. See, John's just talked about Cain who sacrificed, but not cheerfully. Right, so if you're not a Christian, you're like, oh, here it is. He's 35, 40 minutes in. Now he's talking about money. I knew it. Like, if you're a Christian, like, we, we don't want you to give. Like, no, like, like, Jesus has given you his life in your place so that you could have a new life you'd never earn or deserve. And if you're a Christian, we just simply believe that everything that we have and have been given is from God. And he's given it to us even our giftings and our drive and, and our ambitions that, that lead to any sort of prosperity we have and that we're to then steward all of those resources for the flourishing of God's kingdom, for the, for the advancement of his gospel, and for the care and enjoyment of our lives and families and all those things as well. And so he's saying, don't, don't be a Cain who thinks he can just give his way out of God's favor but instead have a heart and a disposition that says, I'm going to be generous with my actions, my time, my talent, and my treasure. And that might mean blessing other people. So generosity comes when you know how much you've been loved and given by God. And that leads us to number seven as we close. <sighs> Loving proactively sees ways to love because it's present with others. If you're going to love your brothers and sisters, it requires being present with your brothers and sisters. So you're like, well, hey, you know, John here, he's like, hey, help your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, make sure they have what they need. Make sure they're cared for. Make sure that you're encouraging one another, building one another up. You can't do that remotely. You can't do that and say, you know, I love the church. I just never go to it. Or I love Jesus, but I'm never part of a church anymore. Say, no, no. You actually have to be present with other brothers and sisters in Christ to actually know what they need. And so when you have needs, so others can know what you need. So it requires participation. It requires vulnerability. See, it's, it's just so easy to claim ignorance about the needs of others in the church and other brothers and sisters by just not being around them gosh, I just didn't, didn't know anybody needed anything. Oh, I didn't know there was anybody to help. When you actually like are gathering each week, is, is you're actually in relationship with others and connecting, that's when you start to find out ways that people need to be prayed for, ways that people need to be cared for, ways that they need to be encouraged. If you're called as Christians and we're called as Christians to love one another, you can't do that if you're not around others. 
So like, it's just simply not a faithful Christian position to say, I love Jesus, but I don't participate in the life of the church in any way, shape, or form. And like I said a few points ago, if you're like, actually, I hate the church and everyone that's in it, you don't get to say you're a Christian if you hate them. So John here is saying, hey, you know, talk is cheap, right? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you're gonna see the needs of others, it requires you to be someone who spends enough time around others to know their needs in the first place. If you haven't experienced the love of God abiding in you, if you hate your brother uh, and, and you, you're just not connected, you're not sure if you're actively loving your brothers and deeds and times and talents and treasure, then this is John saying, hey, it's time for like a, a bit of a heart check. And so I don't want this to be like, well, if I haven't given lately, then I'm not a Christian. Or you know, if I wasn't generous with somebody else, I'm not a Christian. Or if I have a relational conflict with somebody else, I'm not a Christian. No, no, that's, that's not the case. It's to have the life of Jesus as our sacrifice, but also as our example. To say, Jesus loved me when I was unlovable, so I can love others even when they're not likable. Jesus was generous and gave me everything so that I might have life. So now as I live my life, I can look for and engage in ways where I'm sacrificing for others. And out of that outward orientation, out of that sacrifice towards others, it actually leads us to greater joy because we're actually walking in the way that God has wired us and purposed us to be. Let's say for myself, my times of most depression, despair, frustration are when I'm the most inward focused. And often what can get me out of that fog is actually engaging with other people and saying, oh wow, they have needs as well too. Maybe I I can't fix myself, but maybe I can help them. And all of a sudden we begin to, to rest in and enjoy what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, loved by the Father because of the work of the Son in our place. And so in Jesus, we have one who intentionally sacrificed for us, gave costly. And that's what we're gonna do now as we take communion. If your faith and trust is in Jesus, and you're a Christian, we invite you during our time of worship to, to, to pray, to, to sing, to, to you know, get your kids, have them come back from Mercy Kids. But um, if your faith and trust is in Jesus, at some point during worship, come forward and take communion. And as you do, remember that the bread represents Jesus' body broken for you. The cup represents his blood shed for you. That at your moments in seasons of least likability, where you have felt that you are beyond love, Jesus saw you, says, I don't want my brothers and sisters to be that way. And he had compassion and concern for you and it led him to sacrifice for you so you could have life now and forever. And so you could love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's be a people who are characterized by our love for one another as we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.